this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath this year's global hunger index a peer reviewed annual report that tracks hunger at the global regional and country levels shows south asia and india in particular as a hunger hotspot india has been ranked 107th out of 121 countries that were the subject of the report and india's rank is below that of countries such as pakistan rwanda ethiopia and sudan in the global hunger index 2021 india had been ranked 101st out of 116 countries and now the government of india for the second year in a row has rejected this report it has claimed that the report's methodology is flawed and that it ignores the food security efforts of the central government during the pandemic so how was this report prepared are the criticisms of it justified and what are its implications for food security and public policy in india we explore all these questions in this episode of the infocus podcast and our guest today is dr deepa sinha from the school of liberal studies at ambedkar university delhi deepa thank you so much for joining us uh, deepa to start with can you explain the methodology of the global hunger index what are the parameters used to rank the countries and what kind of uh, sources were used for the data that was used uh, for this purpose yeah so this global hunger index is brought out by uh, a few organizations internationally and they've been doing this since uh, 2006 i think currently the methodology they use is uh, it is an index of four indicators two of which are to do with child malnutrition childhood stunting and wasting then one is child mortality and the fourth indicator is prevalence of undernutrition which is brought out by the fao uh, they normalize these indicators and take an average and uh, these are uh, indicators which are globally well accepted indicators of food insecurity and malnutrition and based on the score that they come up with then they rank the countries as the report itself specifies the ranks across over years are not comparable because the set of countries that they include changes each year and also the data that they use is not necessarily annual in every country so some data might be the same that they used for that country the previous year as well it's the latest data that they use but all the data that they are using are from official uh, sources or from the un which is uh, estimated it based on official government sources so the data itself of each individual indicator is quite credible and has been accepted by government of india also uh, in various forums the index on is are these the best four indicators is this the best way to put them together that of course can be debated uh, and different people would have different opinions i don't know if uh, i don't think we should get into the details of that very much uh, other than that to say that the sources of data are quite credible and it is not their own survey they are just putting together what is available right so you are saying that this ranking uh, cannot be compared year on year but in the same year it will give it will give us some kind of a, a credible picture so the fact that india slipped from 101st rank last year to 107th uh, this year doesn't really mean much because the countries are different because even the number of countries has changed it was 116 countries last time it's 121 countries this time so the ranking itself and they very clearly say that in their report but in each year it does give an idea of uh, the position where we are 
vis-a-vis, say, the other countries that you mentioned, for example. So, are some countries consciously excluded? Like, we don't find any countries from Western Europe, for instance. Is there no hunger in those countries? Like, what is the criteria for not having other certain countries? So, why I think uh, some countries are excluded is, again, also to do with uh, the data sets that they use. So, this uh, figures of childhood stunting and wasting is from these demographic and health surveys, which are done in many countries, which uses the same uh, sort of methodology and questionnaire. So in India, the Ministry of Health do, does it, but it's in partnership with USAID and that survey is not done in the advanced countries. Okay. So now coming to the specific uh, parameters, uh, the government of India has criticized uh, the GHI report saying that three out of the four indicators which are used to compute the score are to do with children and therefore they are not representative representative of the entire population which of course comprises not just children but adults as well. So is this a justified criticism in your view? So firstly I would like to say that broadly these sort of indices always suffer from uh, such issues when you're trying to bring a complex issue into one number and bringing different indicators there is always a problem and for policy and for uh, actually doing detailed planning, I think one should go with individual indicators. Having said that, there is the purpose of this report clearly is to highlight the issue of food insecurity and malnutrition. And for that purpose, I think these are good indicators. Childhood malnutrition has been recognized as being a reflection of overall uh, well-being, particularly of health and nutrition in any society. And also that malnutrition sets in in early childhood. It is difficult to reverse uh, malnutrition that sets in uh, in childhood later in adulthood. For all these various reasons, child mortality and child malnutrition has often been used in all kinds of studies as indicators of well-being. So from that sense, I think we can't question it. And the fourth one is something that is concerning the uh, everyone. It's more difficult to get data Uh, on food consumption and decide on cutoffs because so many more factors go into it uh, in terms of uh, calorie requirements or protein requirements and so on. It differs by age, sex, uh, workload and so on. Uh, These are anthropometric indicators based on height and weight. So they are quite credible and it's used. So I think to completely write off something by saying that it's only to do with children is not correct. Uh, it is a reflection of what is going on uh, overall in, in society and in the households. Uh, right. So uh, on this question of child-specific uh, indicators, so I was just wondering, uh, just a thought, is it is it the case that it is considered a credible indicator even for malnutrition in general? Because in families, typically, if there is no uh, shortage or if there is some kind of shortage of food, the children anyway do get prioritized, isn't it? So if even children are uh, showing indications of stunting and uh, wasting, then that could be taken as a broader indicator of lack of adequate nutrition in general because children do get prioritized for food consumption. Is that an argument one could make? Uh, Well, uh, so overall, yes, childhood malnutrition can be taken as an indicator of overall uh, levels of food insecurity. Uh, The argument that's made against it also is that there are a number of other factors also that go into determining a child's uh, nutrition status, stunting particularly, uh, like sanitation, access to healthcare, uh, women's time. All of this also contributes to it. 
uh, which is the other point that the government is making that this is not hunger it is malnutrition and in that case children have other needs and we know that uh, india is not able to meet those for various reasons so uh, simple answer is yes as an indicator of food security it does tell us that something is wrong overall but there would be other factors that are specifically child related also that is contributing to this so is there a qualitative difference is is something better or worse suppose we say it's it's not hunger it's malnutrition is that better by definition yes what this index is more looking at is undernutrition rather than hunger and if you look at their website and report they give these definitions they say that hunger has normally understood to just mean only calorie deficiency but we are going beyond that but that is i think from the point of view of uh, policy priorities and things it makes sense uh, because now it's quite widely understood that it's not just enough to have any food but that what we are more interested in is that people are getting the adequate appropriate good quality food which keeps them healthy if we are measuring that then yeah calling it nutrition might be more acceptable uh, but they've chosen to call it hunger so then two points here one of course uh, it doesn't seem to make any sense to sort of differentiate uh, between hunger and malnutrition and speak of them as two separate things number one number two maybe they should be called as global hunger and nutrition index rather than just hunger index maybe they should maybe i don't know if the kind of reaction this gets in india is something that is seen in other countries uh, actually i'm not aware and it's making me wonder this year because every year we get into this thing hunger is probably a very politically sensitive issue in india because of which governments respond the way they do uh, but actually if you really thinking about the issue for me uh, there is no point in separating hunger and malnutrition to this extent because malnutrition is affected by other factors but let's face it food plays a big role even now right now moving on to the other criticism that the government has made it is that the fourth indicator we have got three indicators which are to do with children the fourth one is called the proportion of undernourished and the government says it's really problematic because it is based on the use of what what the american uh, i think fao calls food insecurity experience scale fies which is based on a survey and once we come to a survey then uh, we need to look at sample size and here the sample size is very small in india's population is very big so it's not representative so that is the criticism the government has made so is this a valid uh, objection so this is where the government has got it completely wrong and they made this objection last year as well uh, so i also again went back to the global hunger report on their website and checked it the indicator that they use is not the food insecurity experience scale which is based on the uh, sample survey but it is this other indicator that fao brings out called proportion of undernourished so the pou indicator that they used is not based on a primary survey it's based on a model that the fao has developed to estimate the proportion of people in a country who are consuming less than a certain a uh, minimum level of uh, calories and in this model data related to food production uh, per capita income income distribution uh, food availability all of this goes into their model and based on that they come out with what the estimated proportion is so there again all the data that is goes in as inputs into the model is official government sources uh, one can argue about the specifics of the model itself and whether the cutoff is correct maybe the calorie norm should be higher which would make your pou longer i mean higher 
but the issue here is that the government of india's objection is just factually incorrect because the fies that they are saying is used is not used here that survey is done and fao puts it out in a report called state of uh, world food security in that report india's data is not reported because indian government has not accepted that survey Right, and and coming to the final uh, point which the government has made, which is that uh, they did a lot of work in terms of uh, additional transfers of food grains and cash transfers. You know, the the, the entire scheme for uh, free food grains during the pandemic and the central government's extra effort, which was made to sort of combat hunger hunger during the pandemic years during the lockdown, is not really appreciated or reflected in the report. Is that the case? uh firstly it is true that uh, of the whatever response that the government gave food was a big component uh, but again i think two things i would like to say here the first is based on various other uh, surveys uh, that say the right to food campaign has done as imprimji university has done and so on uh, and the cmi data we know that the impact of the covid on the poor and certain sections of the society has been very severe in terms of a fall in their incomes which has had an impact on food insecurity now the government's 5 kgs of free rice and wheat uh, has contributed but in my opinion that has not been enough the way i would look at it is that if this was not their situation would have been even worse because of this we don't see mass starvation but at the same time only rice and wheat has not been enough to compensate for the income loss that the poor have seen and for the more recent price increases that they have seen the second thing is that again coming to this report and the data in the report most of the the mortality and the child nutrition figures don't really capture the covid period because the nfhs was done started in 2019 a part of the survey was done after the first lockdown so we don't know the covid period and the impact that will actually come when we do our next national family health survey right so just to paraphrase what you're saying so what you're saying effectively is that while the government's intervention in terms of giving additional food grains etc has made an impact of sorts it is still a fraction of the kind of uh, uh, corrective measures that would have been necessary in view of the massive loss in income massive loss in livelihoods which happened as a result of the covid lockdown is that correct correct yeah both in scale and in quality much less than what was required Okay, now these GHI reports have been coming out since two thousand six. You know, almost sixteen years. So, have you seen any or noticed any broad trends uh, in the global hunger situation during this period? And how significant are these trends uh, in terms of public policy debates and policy formulation? So, since two thousand six, and that is broadly what the GHI reports also show, although uh, their data is not strictly comparable. but looking at all other indicators also we do one is we see an overall if we take this very long term view you do see an improvement uh, in uh, the nutrition status in india as well as globally but something that the fao uh, also the ghi and many others have been pointing out even before covid post around say 2016 17 is that globally there has been this increasing food insecurity that is being faced because of various uh, reasons and that the ghi also shows for example in this latest report in every report they give the score for the current year and uh, three previous years that they pick for which they rework the data so that it can be made comparable so for india if you look at the score for 2014 which is the uh, previous comparable year for which they've given the data and uh, 21 
the score has actually worsened a little bit. Uh, so that is one thing which is, I think, concerning. The second thing also, while we can't compare the ranks, with certain countries we can see which have moved ahead of India over this period. Like, for example, Bangladesh used to be uh, doing quite poorly, but they seem to be improving at a faster rate. So these are certain things that the index tells us or this report tells us, which is also validated by other sources and other indicators that we see that overall long term, some improvement last four, five years, some concern as far as India is concerned. And also that India is not does not seem to be improving at the same rate as our neighbors. Right. So going back to this uh, historical overview of sorts uh, from this GHI uh, reports. So as you said uh, just now, India did achieve some gains like many other countries did in reducing hunger for about 10 years uh, preceding 2016. So from about 2006 to 2016, that is on the one side. On the other side, we also find that from 2014, which is the year that is comparable, having reworked the data to make it comparable with today, which is, uh, let's say, 2021, the hunger situation has worsened. So we were doing well for 10 years up to 2015, 2016. And then we have started doing badly from 2014 onwards. So what did we start doing differently? How did we lose our way? Uh, I think a number of factors, and this is where, again, it becomes difficult to exactly pinpoint what, because there are so many factors that go into determining malnutrition. But between 2005 and uh, 16, which is the two periods between the two National Family Health Survey rounds, a lot of research now shows that many things happened which sort of seemed to uh, break the stagnation in malnutrition that we saw in India before 2005. The Supreme Court case on the right to food was very important. It led to the universalization of the Anganwadi and the ICDS uh, program, which has a direct impact on uh, child nutrition. School midday meals were universalized. Uh, the National Food Security Act was passed in 2013, but from around 2007-8, we saw a number of states expanding their public distribution system, including more people, reducing the price. Also, this was a period where Narega happened. Generally, growth rates were higher. It's one of the periods where you see the fastest decline in poverty. So a combination of all these factors between uh, 2005 and uh, Broadly 15, uh, because the data points are that the slowdown maybe started a few years earlier, uh, led to a decline in stunting from about 48% in 2005 to 38% in 2015. A lot of commentators at that point felt that this is good. We are finally beginning to address our stunting, but it could be faster. After 16 to say, or after 14, 16, we don't know exactly what point to make the break. Uh, there have been certain things that we have observed. One is, again, the overall economic situation where you see wages being stagnant, where unemployment is increasing, which, uh, again, some people have linked to maybe demonetization and GST. It's also linked to an overall global slowdown. So that's one thing that has happened. Secondly, the kind of expansion that one saw in these direct public programs, like the ICBS midday meal, is something that has not happened at all after 16. What has happened is some improvements in things like sanitation and drinking water and things which also impact malnutrition, which might have had some positive effect in some states. But overall, when you look at food security and livelihoods and people's living standards, these are also things that affect malnutrition. There we know now from many, so many different indicators that these things have been affected even before COVID because of the general economic slowdown that India seems to be facing.
Right. So the report identifies South Asia as the region with the highest levels of hunger. There is no, there's no caveat, no nuancing here. It is the region in the world with the highest levels of hunger. Are there any specific reasons uh, to do with this geography which are behind this phenomenon? So this uh, thing is something, again, uh, not entirely new. It was brought out in the 90s uh, and it was, it's been called the South Asian Enigma. Also, that the fact that the malnutrition levels in uh, the South Asian countries are higher than African counterparts. Uh, so there are, again, an area which is uh, a lot of research has gone into. Broadly, there are two or three factors that uh, the, the uh, literature uh, talks about. The first is on the status of women, because that's very closely related to child malnutrition outcomes in a number of ways. And that is reflected even in our data. We look at anemia amongst women and uh, so on, our maternal health outcomes. And that the South, in South Asia, status of women has been uh, poorer and that has an effect. The other which has been mentioned also in the literature and seen is uh, the issue of uh, poor sanitation and open defecation, which again has a direct impact on malnutrition. In India, the third factor also, which our own National Family Health Survey also shows, for instance, is the dietary diversity is very poor. So while uh, literal hunger might have been addressed in the sense that people are eating something, uh, our diets are still heavily cereal-based and uh, the uh, quantities of everything else, milk, uh, eggs, meat, fruits, vegetables, uh, is too little. And we need all of this to have better nutrition outcomes. Right. So you have identified like status of women as one main uh, factor. Then you also mentioned that after 2016, ICDS has just not expanded the way it used to expand earlier. And then, of course, dietary diversity, which is, again, uh, it's much more than a nutrition problem. There are also a political aspects to this, the lack of diversity. Now, coming to a big picture kind of a scenario, the report has identified violent conflict, climate change, and the pandemic as the main drivers of hunger as of today. But uh, things have also moved on beyond these factors. We have uh, the Ukraine war now, which has caused disruptions to the supplies of food, uh, to supply chains of fertilizer, to fuel. So how do you see these drivers of hunger evolving in the near term, let us say? I think these are all um, so additional challenges for a country like India, which has been grappling with high malnutrition for so long and we have our own issues these things are making definitely making it more difficult also for us uh, for example the most recent thing we one of the things we have always been quite secure about is our cereal sufficiency except for around 2009 when we had to import wheat when there was uh, global inflation normally rice and wheat is something that we have enough and we even there are years where we export but if you look at just this year uh, and it's directly related to climate change as well, as well as the uh, Ukraine conflict and increasing prices of inputs and so on. We had a shortage in the wheat production and even more than the shortage in the production, the procurement was less than half of last year. Currently, we don't have the final data, but we know that the paddy crop is also affected because of drought and then rain and then uh, also a virus that affected the crop in certain parts of the country. So production, which was not so much of an issue, has become an issue. Also, with all these global changes happening, food items for which we depend on imports, their prices are even more volatile, which is again another challenge. Pulses and oils, most importantly, which are our main sources of uh, protein and fats in current uh, Indian diets, 
there we lost the self sufficiency that we had because of our trade policies and so on which is becoming more and more of a challenge with all the global uh, changes that you mentioned of uh, conflict climate change pandemic of course these two years but i think the conflict and climate change uh, continues so it actually calls for uh, what many have been saying that addressing nutrition in india needs a much more comprehensive uh, approach and issues which have been ignored for long we cannot afford to ignore anymore which is on issues on the agricultural side on the production side on availability of diverse foods at affordable prices right we uh, we're running out of time there but so one final question a quick uh, response from you if you were to say that these are the three things india needs to do as policies or whatever to reverse the rising tide of hunger what what three things would you pick it's very difficult like you seen there are so many uh, factors that go into it but i would still say uh, this is really big and broad but first would be improving uh, livelihoods of the poor so so basically the employment situation is directly related second would be things which would have greater focus on children under 3 and mothers so universalization with quality of the icds program which has many gaps still so the direct interventions are also important and uh, third having a nutrition sensitive agriculture policy which means encouraging more crops than just rice and wheat but uh, seeing how we can achieve self sufficiency in everything that we need right i think that sums it up thank you so much uh, deepa for joining us and for sharing your thoughts and comments on this issue thank you so much thank you In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.